Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, we are closing in on 2018. I know, again, cardinal sins of podcasting never dated. But I think it's important because we look back and we think through all the episodes we've had, all the people we've had on, and the stories that we shared. And I think this is important for this episode. On this episode, Dr. Stu McGill and Brian Carroll share their experience. And, and we've talked to a lot of clinicians. We've talked to a lot of business people sharing their perspective. What we haven't had a lot of, if at all, is a story of the relationship from both ends. So obviously most of you that are listening to this podcast know of Stu McGill, professor and one of the renowned uh, biomechanists, clinicians, uh, authors, researchers in the world of musculoskeletal health. person you might not know is Brian Carroll. And Brian is an elite-level powerlifter who had a serious back injury. And um, as, as most of you or most of your patients or people that you help with have shared, it becomes a debilitating issue that takes people down very scary directions, processes and thoughts and um and brian shares brian shares all that and what it meant to to him to put go from lifting insane amounts of weight setting records to hearing that he will potentially never lift weights again and he's he's pretty open about that and shares what what it was like for him and yeah maybe i i picked and prodded a little bit to get to some of the some of the deeper emotional cores, but I think that's important. I think a lot of you who are clinicians that listen do this every single day in the clinic, and I think he he opened up a good bit. And I think there's there's a lot that carries over in this episode. Uh, Brian and Stu did write a book called The Gift of Injury, which is what the name of this episode is, and it, it's it's an interesting title and it's an interesting concept to really think about. Can you get even better after this injury can an injury be framed as something positive in the end and i know that's that's a tough thing to think about but maybe that's reality so let's get into it with dr Stu mcgill and brian carroll sharing their stories Welcome back to Therapy Insiders Podcast. Dr. Gene Chirac abroad here. Uh, so kind of closing out 2017, and it, it's always cool to, to look back, obviously, on, on some of our past guests, some of the past topics. And over over the years, we've been really, really lucky to, to chat and have con- really deep conversations that I think have resonated with a lot of you. And we, we've talked a lot of business, but we've also talked about 
clinical aspects that uh, that are really relevant in in everyday practice. And it's always cool to speak with people that have literally changed the industry, that their work, their body of work, and their contributions have have shaped how we've seen and treated and looked at certain conditions. And most of you, uh, if you're if you're a listening clinician, have have dealt with a variety of of pain and injuries and really what it essentially comes down to when you distill all that is people, people and their response to adverse situations. And yes, that could be pain. Yes, that could be injury. But a lot of times it, it's what the pain and injury results in creates that adverse situation that creates that adverse life event. And that's, to me, really, that's the hardest thing. It's not necessarily the rehab part. A lot of you are pretty good at that, and you have the ability to do that. But to deal with the adverse life event, how, how do you do that? How, how do you do that well? And I'm really excited. I'm really excited to talk through that because we have two, two perspectives into that world today from a clinician standpoint, but also from somebody that lived through it, that went through that to share it from the other side, which um, I think it's, it's, it's going to be really powerful and valuable because we see it from patients while we're kind of in that grind, but to take a step back and really talk through what life was like, I think will be pretty valuable. So I'm, I'm really excited um, on the podcast. We have professor Stuart McGill and Brian Carroll and, uh, Welcome, guys. First of all, I'm, I'm really, really excited to talk through um, how you two got together and, and really what it's meant for both of you. Yeah, well, good evening. Thank you so much uh, for having me. And also, Brian, people don't realize that I'm calling from uh, uh, Canada, Northern Ontario, in fact, and, and Brian's in Florida. You know, you just got to love technology sometimes <laughs> when you don't hate it. So Stu, Stu, last time uh, when you were on the podcast the first time, uh, we we talked a lot about we pretty much covered a lot of aspects. Uh, I think of of practice, of philosophy, of science. We talked about some biomechanics versus pain science, and as always, you know that elicits a, a multitude of responses and and feelings. T- today, I, I think it will be it will be really interesting to to delve more into maybe the the psychology of treatment and, and dealing with people. And, and obviously the story that, that culti- that is cultivated from your and Brian's experience and mostly Brian's experience, obviously is in the gift of injury, the book that recently came out. So Brian, if you could kind of share your story, kind of lay the foundation of, of, of what happened and what was the precipice of even getting to Stu? Okay, so um, obviously I have a powerlifting background. I've been doing it for about 20 years. And, uh, you know, I lifted weights in high school. And it was one of those things that I gravitated towards from baseball as I was going through high school. And eventually uh, when I graduated, I stopped playing baseball and kind of went the route of a gym rat and uh, just really took to the iron and and understood training and a lot of things that uh, doesn't come natural to other people about you know, different phases of training and pushing. And I did a little bit of bodybuilding after I had, uh, you know, a couple of years of really good hard training, the full body. 
and then uh, did a couple of bench press meets. And then in the early 2000s, I finally did my first powerlifting meet. And uh, three years into powerlifting, I had the biggest squat ever in my weight class, regardless of federation in the world. So a lot of it came pretty easy to me as I move up the rankings, you know, at 220 with 1,030 squat, uh, 2376 total. I moved up to 242. I totaled 2,600 there, squatted uh, 10, uh, 11, 11, 10 since the injury. But uh, before then, my best squat was uh, about 1070, I believe. And then I went up to uh, 275 and squatted 1185, which was an all-time world record, biggest squat in the world. But uh, all this came with the price, and I wasn't always so good to my body. I didn't take pop proper periodizations at times. I pushed too hard. I thought I was Superman, and uh, that's what brought me to Stu McGill in May of 2013. Let's let's break that down a little bit on several layers. One is why do you think it came easy to you, lifting? Um, genetically blessed for sure. Um, you know, from a physical standpoint and from a just a uh, innate, uh, maybe psychological, just a um, you know base of knowledge that I had as far as approaching the iron and just gravitating towards people that would be good mentors to me uh, when I started powerlifting. And I think ultimately that's what kind of navigated me towards Stu, wanting to get get with the best people. And uh, you know that's uh, that's one of those things. But uh, you know I just I took to it pretty quick. And most people aren't squatting a thousand pounds at two twenty. Uh, just a couple years into powerlifting, that's for sure. So, you know, I was pretty lucky. I, I, I trained hard and I was uh, genetically blessed. So it's a little bit of three different What was your drive and motivation? What, what made you want to keep pushing to get higher numbers, higher weight? Was it just getting the PRs? Was it getting records or was it deeper than that? Here's a good, here's a good answer that I haven't given on any podcast. And I don't always think about this, but I didn't want to underachieve in my next endeavor like I did in baseball. What happened to baseball? I just never, I don't think I ever really applied myself the way I, the way I should have. And I didn't have the right mentors in place and I did with powerlifting and I made sure to take advantage Was of it. Safe to say a, a, what if kind of fear of the, what if drove you to higher lifting and just more success? Yeah, I guess it's more of, I, I don't want to uh, have that feeling of, of, of not quite accomplishing. And I guess, yeah, in some ways, what if, but, um, Hey, it was, you know, not looking over my shoulder either. It was moving forward and doing something that I loved and that I was naturally good at. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, cool things that came along with it. And it's ultimately why we're having this conversation right Absolutely. now. So as, as you're progressing, as you're lifting, if you, if you're kind of taking a step back and looking back along the way, what would you say? Maybe some, some signs that you ignored because you said you didn't take care of your body as well as you should have. What does that mean to you? Yeah, so let's face it, you know, right off the bat, I want to say extreme athleticism is not healthy. We know that whether you're a runner or a biker, a fighter, a wrestler, a powerlifter, Olympic lifter, you know, whatever it is that you choose to try and, and be the best at, it's not good on the body. It's not general exercise at the at the 24-hour fitness up the street. So with that said, I, I didn't take enough deloads of, of time of, of lower load, lower volume, lower intensity. Um, I did too many meets at times. I was too aggressive when little nagging pains would flare up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, take the time off or take proper uh, rest, even though I had a background in massage therapy. I had a pretty good understanding of, you know, anatomy and physiology and how the body works and everything. But it's one of those things when you start getting tunnel vision, like I talk about in Gift of Injury, 
none of that stuff matters at the time. I mean, look at anyone that's done anything significant in sports. You know that they there's a price to pay, and, and my back injury was the price that I paid. Guys, so Stu, let, let's j- jump over a little bit. When you first heard from Brian, what was what was going through well, your mind? He uh, contacted me by telephone, and uh, I've been around uh, high performance powerlifting enough to recognize his name. Uh, and uh, I said I, I was seeing the patient, and uh, he showed up. Uh, I, I can talk about those uh, first impressions. Uh, with, is that what the question is? What, what, how we started? Yeah, when when he reaches out, obviously you have an extensive amount of experience and history and, and dealing with athletes. When somebody reaches out to you that has a, a massive amount of weight that they're lifting and then you start to kind of get to know Brian, what is what what kind of pathway do you go down and um, how do you first approach that scenario? Well, the first thing I do is uh, if they're a, recognized athlete, I Google them. And uh, that's what I did with Brian. So I knew I was working with a super athlete before he even uh, showed up. Um, and then I, uh, I conduct an interview and it's quite extensive. Uh, I'm watching them move. Uh, I'm uh, listening to, uh, I, don't, I don't ask questions in the, at the outset at all. I just invite them to speak. And then I'm analyzing what they're putting priorities on. I'm sensing their passions so I know what I can tap into. Um, I'm observing their learning style so I know how uh, I can start to coach them. I'm asking them why have all of these other great experts that they've been to not gotten better. I'm trying to get a sense of what the impediments are in their life. Uh, So it's a lot more extensive than people... uh, probably imagine and I think that conversation was probably about 45 minutes in Brian's case and uh, I've also gaining um, because the, the next part of the assessment will last a couple of hours I'm going to be looking at neurology anatomy biomechanics uh, psychosocial overlays the, the, the full gamut but uh, that could take days to assess so I uh, try and interpret the story and then make my list of what I need to assess to get at the mechanisms of why this person is in the state that they are. Uh, and then I go and execute those tests. Um, in Brian's case, uh, I obviously uh, detected a, uh, a warrior uh, brain set. Uh, his body, though, was uh, showing all the signs of uh, deep pain and, uh, you know, the corruptions that pain makes to the uh, motor systems and I was observing those and um, then got into specific uh, pain provocation and I would test uh, certainly his spine, uh, the hips, uh, the various nerve roots, um, the pelvic ring, all the candidate parts. Uh, but then, and, and only after I've done the physical assessment will I look at the imaging. And then when I looked at the imaging, I must say I was taken aback a little bit. I had no idea of the extensiveness of the uh, bone damage. Uh, 
I'm sure you've seen the initial scan because we put it into a predictive injury book. Brian had split his sacrum from to back, and uh, it, it, it had quite extensive crush damage to the L5 vertebra and the uh, disc above and below were uh, herniated and uh, quite delaminated. So uh, after all of that, uh, I uh, said to Brian, now, you know, we didn't quite set up the story and Brian should probably do this, but he'd already been to uh, several specialists and a couple of uh, surgeons, all of which said, you know, he was done lifting and, and may never be out of pain. But I, I think by the end of that first session, I said to Brian, I, I no promises. I hope I can get you out of pain. But then Brian's response was, was really curious and revealing. He said, uh, but I want the next uh, world record again. And uh, I believe I said, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong. I said, Brian, uh, if you were my son, I would tell you to, to, to let's work to get out of pain and enjoy a new life. But again, he repeated he wanted to be uh, regained his world record. And uh, I said, well, if uh, we can get you out of pain, I want you to fly back up here with your wife and my wife, who's a former international athlete as well. We're all going to go out to dinner and have a good heart-to-heart -heart discussion on if you want to take uh, that risk for that reward. Yeah, let, let's take a step back. So the, the the moment where you where you chatted with Stu, that's let, let's call that a present moment. Let's take a step back into the past of everything that led you up to Stu. And by the time you got to him, what was your mindset? What were you feeling? What were you going through, Brian? Well, um, you know, obviously a, a severe back injury weighs on you mentally. Just for the everyday Joe that is limited in their day to day activities so take it a step further with someone who is considered a you know really good athlete in many eyes not be able to do the basic things that the average joes do every day and you see him do it without pain and not to mention my my passion was taken away from me and i could see it slipping through my hands like grains of sand so it was one of those things that obviously it weighed on me hard uh you know i battled demons i battled you know quite a bit of depression i gained weight and i wasn't able to train up because i was constantly in pain and like Stu said, that I saw multiple neurosurgeons and orthopedic surgeons, and basically they're like, you're done lifting, and uh, we can do a spinal fusion on you, but we won't agree to do it unless you promise to stop lifting. I don't know what that means. I mean, it's not like it's a law or anything if I tricked them into doing a spinal fusion on me. But um, anyway, so when I got to Stu, one thing that I told myself, and this is anyone out there with back pain that has had a hard time beating it or have tried multiple multiple avenues, you have to turn yourself over to someone who knows better than you. And no matter how good you are at your sport, know that you're the person you're going to, and in this case, Stu McGill knew back pain more than anybody. So I went in there as a complete beginner. I didn't know anything about training. I didn't know anything about recovery. I didn't know anything about beating a back injury. And I went in there as a humble teenager and started over. So um, I went in there feeling very positive. Um, you know, I had uh, good vibes about the day and in May of 2013. And it's one of those things that I told my wife. I, I looked at it right before we met Stu that day um, as he was coming to, to greet us. And I said, I have a good feeling about this trip. And uh, sure enough, uh, it was it was great. So 
there was a lot of bumps on the road, but I could feel things start to pick up and gather positive momentum when Stu and I started a dialogue over the phone. Would you say that that this this culmination, this moment, was almost like your your last resort? This this was pretty much it that you're going to the the aforementioned expert in back pain. All these surgeons and uh, not to single out any other clinicians, but just you've been through a healthcare gamut that's let you down in your mind was, right. was, was this it that, that why you felt so good that this, this had to be like, you almost willing yourself that this has to be it. Yeah. So it's one of those things that the healthcare system and failed me a little bit in my opinion. And it's not me trying to bash on the healthcare system. And I, and I, you know, stand to gain from a lot of really good doctors and, and therapists that I work with personally and know, but you know, the process in the United States, it's, okay, your back hurts, they refer you out to physical therapy, and the physical therapist, if they can't help you, they refer you over to get shots in your back, and then they end up escalating that once insurance is billed out to a back surgeon. That's that's the process that I was kind of fed down like a like a you know a herd of cattle. Um, so, yeah, so in, in a lot of ways, I was it was a last resort, but, man, a lot of positivity was coming from our dialogues as we, as we conversed for about two weeks before I ended up flying up there. Um, and I actually canceled a myelogram that I'd scheduled with my neurosurgeon. And uh, so I wouldn't say Stu's was a last resort. I just knew that we'd found a solution because I talked with him enough. I, had, I knew about his books. I knew about his, his techniques. I just needed someone to assess me and for me to start over from, um, you know, um, basically someone else take control of it because I kept failing and, and getting myself Absolutely. healthy. So Stu, you, you see Brian, what's the game plan? Well, it was all based on the assessments. Uh, the hierarchy was, uh, well, I guess there were several initial uh, challenges. Uh, the first one was to uh, try and restore the tissue so they could bear load again. With a split sacrum, you're not going to bear much load. So we began a uh, procedure called bone callusing. Um, your listeners will be aware that when you break a long bone in one of your limbs, say your arm, uh, a bony callus forms over the break and it grows stronger than the original uh, nasal bone. So uh, it, 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 it won't likely break in that area again. Well, the mechanism of bone remodeling is that uh, determined by piezoelectricity. So when you bend the bone, basically it's a tube. The outside of the bend goes into tension, and the inside of the bend, the concave side of the bone, goes into compression. Um, now, uh, just back up a little bit. If you're ever a kid at camp or something, and, and, and you go at night and you find two pieces of quartz rock, and if you, if you bang or rub them together, lightning will shoot through the rock. Uh, that's because uh, quartz is a uh, crystalline piezoelectric material, meaning that when you stress the crystal, it builds an electric charge. Well, bone is exactly that piezoelectric uh, architecture. So when you bend bone, at the level of the bone cell, it builds an electric charge. That charge draws in free-floating ions of opposite polarity. Well, that's calcium and magnesium, the basic building block molecules of bone. So what you try and do in bone counseling is stimulate the uh, damaged site 
not too much that you increase the damage, but just enough to build the charge. And then you leave it alone for the bone cells to scaffold in for four or five days. How are you um, tracking what is uh, that, that right amount? How do you know that it's not too much or too little? You don't. That's where experience comes from. It's a guess. So, and what are you? Um, what are the some of the outcomes as you're testing and experimenting? What are you? Uh, what are you looking for, and what are you tracking? All I can do is is talk to them and say, "Are you better this week than you were the, the previous week?" We didn't know uh, how well the bone was uh, building. Uh, we never took a scan of it again until after uh, the rehab was uh, was finished. So I went entirely on reduction of uh, symptoms and load-bearing ability. So he will test his load-bearing ability, and it's no, I'm fine, it was low. But when you think about it, um, the grand old men and women of powerlifting perform a procedure that is naturally bone callousing. It's the kids and the trainers these days at the, at the commercial gyms who want to deadlift three or four times a week with their clients, not realizing that, uh, sure, while a person is training, at that time, they are making adaptations that are neural in nature. Um, you know, they're writing down better engrams and, and muscle memory to use a euphemism. But the actual adaptation at the tissue level only occurs in rest. Well, muscle, which is where the physiologic focus is on, uh, recovers relatively quickly in, in two or three days. Uh, you know, the, the, the structural damage of the workout has uh, been recovered in, in muscle, but bone is a little bit different. And I've done enough work in vertebra uh, and, and putting heavy crush loads down uh, animal spines to know from a mechanistic point of view that a micro-fracturing occurs, and this isn't fracturing that you can see. We can see it with the very best micro-CT scanners that we were using at the time. Um, but we're down at the level of the bone cell. So the, these micro-cracks form. Uh, it takes a few days for those micro-cracks to, to, to heal, so to speak, enough that the new bone coming in scaffolds in. But if you pick the scab and load it uh, one or two days later, uh, it doesn't work. It didn't give enough time for the bone cells to get a good grip on the scaffold. So we, we knew all this from, from basic scientific investigation, but there's no way to track this in a patient like Brian. So the, the, all I did was, I was just going on guess. Well, not, it was sort of an educated guess, I suppose. And, uh, uh, but to get back to, uh, the, the real grand old men and women of powerlifting, watch them train. They'll do a heavy squat workout and then take five days off. And, and the young kids think these, these people are undertrained. No, they're not. They are building heavy, sporadic end plates, very dense vertebra, because to, to get under and leverage your body into a wedge and lift 1,200 pounds is uh, you can't do that unless you've built a lot of heavy bone. But uh, that's the regimen to, to build that, that uh, bone uh, load-bearing ability. So anyway, I, Absolutely. I, I hope that answers your question. It, it, it's a bit of uh, science, but it's also a little bit of art and craft and, and being a master of the craft only because you're 
I'm sure once yeah. or twice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, load, load management, I'd say is, um, a, a deficiency in a lot of foundationals in, from a school perspective, load management is very poorly taught to a lot of clinicians and from loading up and deloading, it's just not well, not described well. It, it, it is a big problem. Uh, Brian, when did you start to feel and see that things are starting to turn as, as, as you start working with Stu, what's going through your mind? Okay, so let's give Stu's uh, assessment there some context because I was treating my body so bad, like I described earlier, I was constantly loading my, my spine into compression and flexion when I was sitting, trying to you know get up off the floor, grab something off the floor, bend over, constantly perpetuating, picking the scab all the time. So to answer your question, how long did it take to start seeing progress? It's about, it was about three hours from the time I met Stu. Once he straightened me up, once he had me draw back my shoulders, once he had me lock my back in with everything that I did, it was almost instantaneously that my back started to let go little by little. And I started to notice that I, I started to gain a little bit of resilience day by day uh, once I left the lab and I was made aware of a lot of the just simply dumb stuff that I've been doing. And so again, to give context, what I said earlier, you know, I was bad to my body in ways most people don't understand. Obviously, loading and squatting 1147 in a meet two months before I saw Stu uh, with my back in that kind of shape um, or ended up being in that kind of shape, obviously, it is bad on the body. But um, I was constantly um, moving uh, really bad. I was throwing myself on the ground to foam roll my broken back. So not only am I, not only am I, not only am I rolling my, my injured back, but I'm throwing myself down on the ground, uh, you know, at 285 pounds or 290 pounds, uh, wondering why my back hurt. I mean, come on, hello. What do you think is helping perpetuate your injury? You know, so uh, to answer your question specifically right away and uh, really to, to kind of gauge the bone callusing, um, we knew that uh, I went too heavy if I had a lot of residual uh, nastiness in my back or down my legs. So you know, I've got a lot of experience training, so I was able to give Stu a lot of good feedback. And we honestly didn't have hardly any setbacks the whole rehab process because we had it nailed down so good with his expertise combined with mine and me implementing a lot of things that I didn't know or things that I, I realized. And uh, I became a complete lifter during this process. And um, that's the only reason why I'm here having this conversation with you. And uh, having won two Arnold since that MRI was taken um, back in 2013. What would you say was the biggest takeaway once you once you left that initial consult, that initial treatment, and Stu gave you advice and kind of helped you really take control over certain aspects of your body, right? Essentially, giving you permission to put your body in a place where it can be feel safe and and be able to do things. What was what was the takeaway from uh, that? Oh man, there's a ton of takeaways. And, and luckily we cover just about all of those in Gift of Injury. But one huge takeaway is being a cerebral athlete 24-7. And again, it, it ties into what I was just talking about with moving around the house, the way you load the, the dog in the car, the way you take the trash out, the way you load plates on the bar, uh, everything becomes cumulative. So that's good or bad. So think of it as a, um, you know, a debit, uh, you know, debit or credit, you know, in your, in your um, checking account. 
if you withdraw too much and you don't make enough uh, healthy deposits, you end up uh, bouncing a check or not being able to get your groceries and go home with them. So it's one of those things that I had to start making good deposits into my body, respecting it more, respecting the, the things that, that really I was expecting from it. I had to kind of start over. So it was one of those things that uh, most people overlook. But uh, I became a much better athlete coach and, you know, a, uh, you know, a person through all this. So there's a lot of stuff I took away. But being an athlete 24-7 is what I think a lot of people miss. And the people that are really physically talented, uh, you know, physically talented doesn't necessarily mean psychologically uh, talented. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things you can have all the gifts in the world physically, but if you can't apply them correctly or stay relative, you know, by staying healthy, none of that matters. Stu, how did you, um, how did you guys come to the name of the book, The Gift of Injury? Well, uh, we've discussed that, and I I don't quite really, I I think it just came, we were sitting at Brian's kitchen table. I was down uh, with him in Florida as we were bouncing ideas around for this, and it, it, it just came out that now he already was a super athlete. He had a horrific injury that robbed him to his very core of any athletic ability and, and just had a miserable pain life. It was the injury that allowed him to use the very best science uh, to organize his daily life to not only get um, out of pain, but to create that, that, that total synthesis in a rebuilt body to be pain-free and, and performing again. And uh, that, that was a gift. Was, I, I guess it, that just sort of fell in our laps. Uh, maybe you said it was a gift. Uh, gift of injury. Yeah, it was one of those things that we, yeah, it was one of, the, one of those things that kind of came about. We tossed around a couple different names and that one just stuck. It, it just, it just, it just stuck for whatever reason. And I think it's the perfect um, summary of the book. And, uh, you know, the whole concept of the book, actually, it, it started, you know, the, it started right away when we met, actually, because after the assessment, Stu and I got along well. We're both of Irish heritage, you know, whether that has a lot to no, do with it or not, uh, I'm not sure, but um, we got along. <laughs> do, you have, do you have a glorious mustache like Stu as well? I don't, I don't, but if you look on my Instagram at Brian Carroll 81, you can see I posted up a, a older picture of a beard that I grew that I was not going to cut off until this book was published. So that's another little sidebar there for you. I grew it all the way from when we really started buckling down at the beginning of the year and grew it till it was published. So anyway, now that I've lost my train of thought with this babbling, (laughs) but yeah, it was a nice, it was a nice beard. Um, Stash in the beard. (laughs) Can I just... Yeah, can I just add sure. to this, Brian? You were supposed to be talking about um, why this was a gift and why it made you better, and and you can finish that off. But I'll I'll just give you a thought from my uh, perspective as well, Larkin. Um, every patient I see, and you know, they they teach you in school: do not get emotionally attached to patients and that kind of thing. This is not possible for me. I've, I've never been able to do that. I put my heart and soul, every neuron between my ears into that patient. And uh, the emotions naturally go along with it. 
And, and, and you, 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 I mean, you appreciate the psychological component of all of this as, as much as, as anyone. I mean, we're talking people's <laughs> lives, their marriages, the, the, their ability to make money. I mean, these are huge events in people's lives, and, and I, I, I get emotionally invested in it. But having said that, when I get involved at, at that level, I learn from every single athlete and every single patient. And, uh, you know, that, that's just the fantasticness of, uh, of, of my job. I learn just as much from every patient. So Brian taught me about higher-end programming. And uh, I, I helped him maybe at the lower-end programming. We created this beautiful uh, fusion that way. And here's other gifts as well. We're talking to you. We're, we're, we're hopefully inspiring other people. So, you know, it, the whole thing from top to bottom is, is a gift. Now, there was some people who paid the price along the way. But at the end of the day, that, that, that's life, to be victorious in the end. I think it's it, it talks to a, a bit of a contrast as when Brian... Uh, Afra mentioned earlier that he he went through a, a bit of a gamut where he felt unheard, essentially, that there wasn't that attachment, which is maybe, let's call it some a, a traditional aspect of medicine, to to dealing with somebody such as yourself, which you just laid out to, that it's not a negative. You know who you are. You know who you are as a clinician. You know who you are as a person. And you connect. You like you said. You the wins, the losses, everything. It, it's a roller coaster ride that is a team effort. It's it's a community, and and we know this. Again, you mentioned psychology. That feeling like you are part of something, feeling like you're part of a team, feeling like you're you're in a place where it's not just you, where others get it, and working towards a similar goal is is critical and as important as everything else that that was done and being done and unfortunately that that's severely lacking in a lot of aspects of healthcare and then Brian correct me if I'm wrong it sounds like once you met Stu that it was it was a stark contrast for the positive it absolutely was and like I said I was saying that we 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 bonded well Stu was very direct with me uh he told me that it's you know certain things were imperative and one of those things being like I hashed out earlier is my movement patterns um I was robbing myself of athleticism the way I moved so we, we really bonded that day. And uh, actually, that's when the, the first talk of writing a book came about the first day we had met. Um, I was getting ready to leave his office. And uh, that's when he was telling me the part about, uh, if you're my son, I'd urge you to retire. I want you to enjoy some good life pain free. And of course, I looked at my wife and back to Stu and, and I said, well, Stu, I got to tell you, once I'm pain free, because I trusted him and I'd already felt better those couple hours later. I'm going to get back to lifting and I still have some stuff I want to accomplish. And uh, Stu told me, you're there now. And uh, that that hurt to, to hear that, but it was actually a challenge for me. Okay, fine. I'll do it your way. I'll get better. And I'm going to listen to absolutely everything that you tell me, you know, you know, exactly. But with that said, when it's come, when it comes time for my world, strength training, once I'm pain free, I'm going to get back to where I was and I'm going to be even better. So he said, hey, who knows, maybe you're right. Maybe one day we end up writing a book about it. So let, let's finish this out, Brian. I'd I love your take on, let's say, 
flash, uh, fast forward into the future, and we're talking theoreticals here. Let's say your son is going through a similar situation as yours. What do you tell him? Yeah, that's a tough question. You're, you're uh, good with these questions. Um, well, if he's anything like me, he's very hard-headed. He has to learn the hard way, right? So that's, that's basically what's made me a good coach. It's made me a good author, and it obviously made me a good power lifter. It's, I've learned a lot of valuable lessons over the years, and they were unfortunately, many of them were learned through injury and pain. You know, most of us have those uh, grooves in our brain, you know, when, when things are really rewarding and they feel really good, we remember them. And of course, on the opposite end of the spectrum, when they're really painful and they hurt, we also remember those, you know, a lot. So um, hopefully, you know, my son would be mentally tough like I am. And, uh, you know, if, if I were Stu and I were talking to my son being me and injured, um, you know, I'd be there to support whatever decision he wanted to uh, wanted to make at the time. And being that, you know, I, I, I'd been there before, I would understand. And of course, I'd have a little bit more experience. so I'd be able to navigate him. You know, but hopefully I would have navigated them away from where we are at that point. So you kind of see what I did there with your question? <laughs> yeah, well done. Well done. Uh, <laughs> um, so the book is Gift of Injury. I have my copy. I'm making my way through it. It, it, it is a it is a cool story, Brian. Um, I'm, I'm glad you're you're on the on the positive end of, of that story, because um, obviously stories can be comedies and they can be dramas. But uh, I feel like yours is uh, is trending upward. So that's cool to see. What, what, what is the goal? What's the goal for the future? Uh, the goal is to use this platform that, that you know, writing a book with Stu McGill is a big deal. And, and a lot of people understand that. And I'm very honored to do that. And I take it seriously. You know, I, I've written the book 1020 Life. And that's the, the professional strength training guide that I wrote right after I got done um, getting pain free. And, and like I said earlier, it made me a complete athlete, coach, and author. And I really filled up a bunch of holes that were in my game. And I learned so much in that, in that time. In the last five years that I've known Stu, I've learned so much. So going forward, I want to sp- spread this knowledge and say, look, you know, uh, not just through talking and, and, and doing seminars and, and, and teaching courses, but people, you know, I want to understand that gift of injury is not just for people that have hurt their back. Best case scenario, you don't follow my path and have to rehab your back. You can circumvent these these uh, pitfalls and these traps that I fell in with a big ego and thinking you're Superman and you can build resilience without having to, uh, you know, start over and rehab like I did pretty much. So um, the plan is to spread the knowledge, uh, speak a lot more, you know, as I'm winding down my powerlifting career, you know, I've, I've done what I wanted to do. I came back and won two Arnold since the injury. No one's done that. And uh, you know, I'm pretty proud of it and I want to have a, a good life in my, in my forties and fifties. I'm 36 right now. And, you know, I was only 30, 31 years old when I was dealing with all that. So, you know, obviously I'm not a dumb person. I knew that I had a lot of life, a lot of life to live. So that same hardheadedness that had me squat in my powerlifting career, a thousand pounds over 50 times the most by any powerlifter, that also is, is a downfall too at times where I, even though I probably should have in many people's eyes stopped lifting while I was ahead, especially when I got pain-free, that isn't how I operate. So Again, I'm going to push for the best in every aspect of my life going forward and and uh, hope that people want to hear. And so far, the, the result coming in about the book and the talks that I've done are very positive. That's awesome, man. What about you, Stu, writing this book, going through this experience? And obviously, you have a, a long career of this, but any any takeaways that were unique to this? 
Well, it was, uh, I think it completed me as a, uh, uh, first of all, as a professor and a scientist, and, and then as a clinician, and then as uh, a, a teacher or an author of the lay public, I've, I've written my big heavy textbook to teach clinicians about assessment and, and rehab and whatnot. And I wrote um, Ultimate Fact Fitness and Performance for the strength and conditioning crowd. And that was to bring in the experience from, from many different sports. But it was this last book that completed that. A gift of Injury was really a case study it starts out with uh, that first chapter, Brian turned out to be a magnificent storyteller. And that really set the stage for the book to show people that you can have very substantial injury, but when it's handled well and with a bit of luck, uh, you can rebuild uh, the tissues. Uh, you can look at the before and after MRI imaging uh, showing how all the bone unfilled, uh, the fracture healed, the discs even remodeled. Um, this, this happens. Every tissue in a person's body can heal except their teeth. Uh, it, it's a testament to that. And uh, we, I, I think both Brian and I never envisioned the book to take the final form that it did. We thought we would tell his story and tell his uh, how he rehabbed his spine and then I got back onto the platform to such a, a championship level once again. But neither of us anticipated that it would become a manual for strength training where we got into generic assessments and how to build grip strength and, and, and turn your body into a composite to barrel or how to eliminate weak links and, and all the things. So it, I feel I don't need to write another book now, and uh, that's basically it. I've retired from the university, um, but uh, the patients won't let me retire, so, <laughs> I've, you know, it's funny. I've never advertised. I've never asked to see a patient, but I, I get so many requests every day. <laughs> Um, but uh, that's uh, just what I, I, I guess I do now and I continue to do. But uh, I, I feel very completed now with this uh, project with uh, Brian. That's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very much along a uh, similar pathway to you. Stu, in terms of, um, I think it, it's, it shows, it's a testament to the human body the dexterity and the ability to bounce back when combined with a strong mindset and willingness and understanding of what it takes and what's going on. I think one of the biggest limiters of human nature is fear of the unknown. And once you start going to pathways of fear of the unknown, um, it, it opens up a lot of negatives. And I know, Brian, you alluded to this earlier, is, is you know, the what ifs and if I can't do this, if I can't do that, or what if this and what if that, um, it's, it's detrimental. So to, to see that somebody can come through when some of the scans or just the biomechanics show some of the worst things that we can and the body can, like you said, Stu, uh, a lot of tissues come back and so can the mind. So it, it's, it's really cool. It's a really cool story, really cool book. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, you can get it at giftofinjury.com 
And I think both of you also have, Stu, your site is backfitpro.com. And Brian is your uh, powerrackstrength.com as well. Can you get books yeah, on there the, as well? Yeah, the best place to get it is either backfitpro or powerrackstrength.com. But people that like to deal with Amazon and like the the you know the free two-day prime shipping, uh, Amazon or amazon.ca. Um, we're working on the giftofinjury.com uh, page there. So like I said, the two former or three former places that I spoke of uh, are, are best to do right now. And uh, no matter where you live, we can get you uh, the copy of Gift of Injury at, at a decent price without killing you with shipping. So we ship everywhere. So uh, we got a pretty cool thing going with, with the book. And like Stu said, it, it really took legs of its own and, and it evolved so much, you know, because we worked on it for a, a good period of time and we've known each other for so long and we both bring, you know, so much from, in some ways, opposite ends of the spectrum and some in the middle. And it merged into such a, I don't want to call it a masterpiece because, because that'd be kind of arrogant since I had a, a hand in, in the book, obviously, but it's something I'm very proud of. And I think some people could refer to it as an encyclopedia of strength training and back rehab and building resilience in an athlete and lessons learned. And it's a narrative all in one. So again, it's uh, it's more than just for someone who hurts their back and wants to return to lifting weights at the local gym. Uh, it's, a, it's a story uh, in a lot of different ways. Awesome, man, for sure. Um, well, well, we'll put the links up on the podcast page at updocmedia.com. If you're listening on iTunes or through some other podcast service, uh, double back, check out Amazon. The, again, the name of the book is Gift of Injury. And uh, Brian, Stu, thanks a lot, guys. Really enjoyed it as always. Great chat, and thanks for sharing your story. Thank man. you so much, man. I really enjoyed the interview. I love the questions, and I'm honored to be here with Dr. Stuart McGill and He's someone I really look up to, and it's been a hell of a ride the last five years, I can tell you that. And I think you have an idea with the excitement in my voice that I'm passionate about what I'm doing, and I'm really looking forward to the future, and it's uh, it's really cool to be here. Well, and if, if I may say, awesome, to, I'm glad uh, to hear it. Being, uh, well, first of all, to you, uh, you, as always, as in the past, you, you've got terrifically insightful questions, and I think you pulled out a few unique thoughts from Brian and I today that, uh, you know, uh, has but when Brian says uh, he looks uh, up to me, uh, I, I would like to say uh, I, I, I feel very much the same way about him. So there's a, a guy in, in the 60s saying I feel a guy who's who's half his age, but uh, three times as tough and uh, better. Very cool, guys. Well, it was it was an honor to chat with both of you and uh, look forward to, to seeing the evolution of the book and the story. And um, as always, check it out at updocmedia.com. Till next time, we're out.